In the early 90s, in countries across the Arab world, Islamist parties began to gather mass support. In Algeria, the Islamic Salvation Front won overwhelming victories in local elections and looked certain to win the coming general election. And at the same time in Egypt, the Muslim Brotherhood began to win mass support and a growing number of seats in Parliament. At the heart of the Islamist vision was the idea that the Quran should be used as the political framework for the society, an absolute set of laws beyond debate that all politicians had to follow. The implication of this was that political parties would be irrelevant because there could be no disagreement. The people were about to vote in parties that might use their power to end democracy. Faced by this dilemma, in Algeria, the army decided to step in. And in June 1991, they staged a coup d'etat and immediately cancelled the elections. Mass protests by the Islamists were oppressed violently and their leaders arrested. The Islamist revolutionary groups killed thousands of civilians because they believed that all these people had become corrupted. In turn, the generals running Algeria infiltrated the revolutionary groups. They told their agents to persuade the Islamists to push the logic even further, to kill even more people. This would create such horror that the groups would lose any remaining support and the generals could use the fear and revulsion to increase their grip on power. Hello everyone, you've just been listening to some extracts from part two of Adam Curtis's documentary, The Power of Nightmares. This coming interview is really the second part of the interview with Adam Fitzgerald on the Afghan war. And in this part, we're looking at the fallout of the war as these radicalized and now trained Islamists return to their home countries where they were met with a rising tide of political Islam. We're going to touch on Egypt a little bit, but Adam's mostly going to focus on Algeria, as the situation there became extremely violent throughout the 90s, with the country descending into civil war, and with the state ultimately co-opting some of the extremist Muslim groups for their own ends. So we start off with Adam giving some background of how the situation in Algeria evolved politically leading up to the crisis. Talking about Algeria itself, um, uh, it actually had, uh, during the early periods of the 60s, uh, which, we, uh, by the way, gained independence from French rule. Um, and in 1961, the uh, imperialist powers of France officially announced that Algeria was an independent country. Um, didn't have like an Islamist problem. Um, it actually enjoyed a, a political stability, if you will, a, a peaceful coexistence with French and Algerian citizens and with the presidency of someone like Houari Bedouin, who was someone who um, strengthened uh, leftist policies. Um, and he, he would, by the way, he was the second president of Algeria. He was also quite strict with the religious sector, although um, not an antagonist, if you will. Um, he carefully saw fit to keep under wraps the burgeoning um, Algerian religious minority. But by, in 1979, uh, Chadil Benedict became president. And it was under Ch Chadil's regime, which was more tolerant with, with the Islamists. And the country itself was seeing like a social economic decline. And tensions started uh, burgeoning within the community 
and there were mass protests were held in the streets. And meanwhile, while this was happening, you had the Afghan, I mean, the Mujahideen that came from Algeria started returning back to Afghanistan. Um, and this gave the Osamists some newfound motivation to gain members. Um, during uh, the conflict, which began in 1991, and the, um, the group called the Islamic Salvation Front, which is the FIS, uh, which was trying to gain a political... Can I, can I just pause you there, Adam, because I got completely confused on this point last time, because the Islamic Salvation Front is the FIS, because it's French, right? So it's the Front Islamic Salvation. Um, so just, I'm just making that point because, yeah, it's Islamic Salvation Front FIS for the, for the listeners. Please, sorry, please go ahead. Right, the Islamic Salvation, the FIS, and the, the opposing party, which was the National Liberation Front, or the FLN. Mm -hmm. um, and they were trying to win uh, parliamentary seats inside the, the embassy. And the FIS had the backing of the Algerian, Algerian citizenry, only because of the influence of its two founding fathers, um, Ali Benajad and Abbasi Madani. Uh, ben Hadi appealed to like the religious community. Um, Mandani appealed to the, the businesses and, the, and the, um, the, the, the youth of the country, which was suffering under the uh, socio-economic uh, oppression. Um, meanwhile, the FAS shocked the country by winning the majority of the seats, uh, beating the, NAPO, the National Liberation Front, which is the FLN. And it's uh, the FLN, which was like a nationalist uh, 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 presence. Um, immediately, immediately after the election, immediate, uh, devout activists began um, eliminating, which was considered like an offense to like uh, true Islamic uh, piety. Um, for example, removing um, uh, satellite dishes, women be wearing the full burqa. So the Algerian, Al like Algeria, let's say, for example, Algerian Islamist uh, Mustafa Bouyan, who was a veteran of the Afghanistan war, started applying the application of the Sharia law and creating um, Algeria as an Islamic state. Um, after the communist government in Afghanistan fell, many of them um, became hardline uh, Islamists, which had a direct connection with the government itself and the, uh, supported the, Islam, the FIS and also a more, uh, these more hardline insurgents, which branched off the FIS. But the Algerian military moved in and started to take control of the country because they knew that the threat of the Islamists posed. And so what they did was they removed Benajar from office forcefully. And the guerrillas, the Islamist guerrillas, um, emerged and began and um, an armed campaign against the government and its supporters. But it also had the backing of, of the civilians, which wanted change within the government in the first place, which they saw that the Islamists was trying to do. But as more Islamist groups began to emerge, one more extreme than the other, um, it became a problem. Uh, one of those groups, um, uh, which came from what's called the Armed Islamic Group, which was called the GIA for short. Um, they began enforcing Sharia-based laws within the communities, and the punishments were like bordering on like the harsh to the, ex the extreme. And during the mid-1990s, uh, the rise of Islamism had a direct impact on Algerian society, which saw like oppressive freedoms within the locals. And then, of course, you had the untold horrors, uh, mass graves, mass uh, executions. And the military began to liquidate the Islamic sects within Algeria and the civilians started siding with the military itself. And approximately like 50,000 people were killed after 
the Civil War ended. And in the current day itself, um, there are very few uh, splinter groups left in Algeria. Uh, some of them have like a small connection with Al-Qaeda, but by then the damage was done. I mean, Algeria actually is trying to rebound um, uh, geopolitically itself in, in, in an eternal struggle with these splinter groups in hopes of not having a civil war again. Okay, yes, because the um, when you say about the military intervention, the Islamist policy was like one election to elect an Islamic government and then no more elections, right? It was an Islamic theocracy forever from that point on, and that's what the... It was a, uh, not a caliphate existentially, I'm talking about internally. They wanted Algeria to become strictly um, 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 a religious uh, state run by, uh, governed by Sharia law itself forever. They didn't want uh, any nationalist principles in the country, and they, w they didn't even want a military because they figured that um, the religious sector would take care of any um, existential threats that would be a threat to the Islamic State itself. Okay, so we've, we've zoomed in on Algeria here, and I'll say a bit more about why Algeria particularly in a moment, but can you just give a set, me a sense, please, of um, is this an extreme version of problems a lot of countries suffered at the end of the Afghan war when the extremists came home from Afghanistan? Were there other Islamic countries that had similar problems with an influx of ex-Afghani fighters? Actually, yes, Egypt, uh, for example, I think they suffered the worst. And I think during the latter parts of 1980s, a small faction of militants in Pakistan actually reconstituted themselves. And they became the, the, the they regenerized the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Um, Ayman al-Zawahiri at this time was actually second in command behind um, Saeed al-Sharif, who would who eventually become its imam. And so the Egyptian Islamists at this time, um, also with Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan, uh, would benefit uh, the Islamists in Egypt because um, Zawahiri went to went to went to meet bin Laden in Pakistan, and which created, of course, the Bakhtab al which was the Afghan services. But the, the Egyptian Islamists became a major influence in, um, in the Middle East after the war, uh, when the, the uh, Mujahideen came home. Um, groups like Gamma Islamiyah, Egypt's Islamic Jihad, um, started becoming more uh, of a burgeoning threat to the government. And in 1995, June 1995, they, they attempted to assassinate um, Hosni Murbari, who was the Egyptian president, um, it failed, but, but the threat was real. Many within the Egyptian General uh, Intelligence Directorate, or the GID, um, had suspect that even the Islamists like of, from Gamma Islamia had even infiltrated the, um, the GID itself, um, which of course was true because they had contacts within its own ranks. In, like for example, in November 1995, November 19, 1995, the Egyptian Islamic Jihad bombed the Egyptian embassy and it killed 16 people. Mm -hmm. But the intelligence aspect, what I'm saying is that the, the um, after the war, that the, these more extremist ideals began to not just permeate within society, but permeate within the intelligence apparatus of Egypt and within the government itself. Um, and this was more like the Frankenstein monster by not instead of the Egyptian government or the Egyptian secret police uh, eliminating the problem at home, 
in hopes that the, the Afghanistan would eliminate the problem. In other words, they created a Frankenstein monster within, um, within the government itself. And this is a problem that's happening even to the current day. So, um, so yes, it was a problem for a country like Egypt. I think Egypt uh, sort of like the biggest problem, especially, um, I would say, even Pakistan to a default itself. But I think um, that's a problem with uh, the ISI more than uh, having a religious sector. I think the religious sector in Pakistan um, was a problem early on, um, which fermented itself. I mean, it fermented to the problem now, but especially Egypt, I think Egypt uh, itself was uh, um, the more of a, um, a bigger problem now than beforehand when in say the early seventies and eighties. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So you mentioned Frankenstein's monsters. Okay, and this this idea of you create a monster and it goes out of control, and that's a theme that we will return to again and again as we examine the sort of big terrorist incidents that happened in the nineteen nineties up until September eleventh. Um, but it, it's particularly interesting if we hop back to Algeria because one of the accusations made about the Algerian civil war was that it was a dirty war in some way that one of the things that turned the tide was the Islamists becoming so extreme in their massacring of villagers and so sort that the, the population lost all faith in them. Like, how can these people possibly ever form a government? They're barbarians, absolute savages. And the accusation emerged um, from Algerian diplomats, from people in the security services, that the security services had either stood down and allowed these massacres to take place at times. This is a, an, a, a charge levied by um, Amnesty and Human Rights Watch, or from people within the services themselves came out and said that the, the security services had infiltrated the Islamists and driven them to be more and more extreme because they knew that was the ultimate strategy to win the war, was to totally discredit the Islamists in the eyes of the populace. And again, this, this idea of Frankenstein's monster going out of control but secretly being on a chain is a theme we'll have to look at because it's the whole, it's the great conspiracy theory claim, right? That actually they, they never really went out of control, that at a deeper level they were still chained. What do you make of that, that claim as it pertains to Algeria? Well, I think it made sense because there was no reason why uh, a group like the Islamic Salvation Front, which didn't have, when it first was formed in 1989, um, didn't have the backing of the people. But I think what helped was that through the repression of, socio, of the socioeconomic um, disparity that was uh, shown with the, the citizenry of Algeria, um, this led to a, um, a more rev a revitalization within um, the religious sector itself in Algeria. And that helped. But I, I think itself, especially when it came out later on, that uh, they, were th they were saying that the intelligence apparatus within Algeria in order to uh, negate any type of opposition to the the uh, nationalist regime of like the FDL, or um, so they they started funding or having um, people within the Islamic Salvation Front uh, posed as um, Islamist leaders themselves or Islamist influencers. Meanwhile, they were part of the group itself, and, and then that in itself gave them popularity within. Like say the the, the private the, the public sector within the like the farming system or the business centers, 
um, the youth, especially the youth that couldn't get jobs out of the universities themselves because the French, uh, they saw the French as a, a mere um, uh, dis inconvenience and that they weren't true uh, citizens of Algeria and that they wanted to get rid of this, um, uh, this tainted of the blood, if you will, of Algeria by getting rid of the, uh, the, the French citizens themselves itself. Um, so while as the years progressed and the FIS started gaining uh, popularity within the citizenry and the backing of the people, um, the uh, members within the nationalist movement started backing off, seeing that they created the Frankenstein monster, if you will, the, 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 uh, the creation that they helped create. And by, but by then, it would also suffer blowback because as we could see during the Civil War, um, they started, the, the, the Islamic Salvation Front started losing its members. They weren't, in other words, they weren't, they weren't too extreme. So you had these splinter groups that came out later on um, that uh, started creating uh, these mass executions. Uh, people like, I, like I said before, Mustafa Buyami, um, who started uh, going into the villages and into the mountains to start, you know, slaughtering these people wholesale. And so who do you blame? Do you blame the, the members of the Islamic Salvation Front or do you blame members of the FLN who, who infiltrated this group and started to um, start, uh, help create pop, uh, popular consensus within the group itself? So, uh, you know, there's a lot of blame to be held here. Um, ironically, the, the, the two founding fathers of the FLM, I mean, the FIS, came out later on and said that they blamed that the FLN uh, uh, for creating the Frankenstein monster, if you will, which created the Civil War in the first place. Okay, thank you, Adam. Is there anything else you'd like to say about uh, this particular topic? Well, Algeria itself. Algeria, and yeah, well, well, next time we're going to go on to some of the other fallout of the Afghan war. Okay, we're going to look at um, Chechnya, maybe Azerbaijan, and we're going to at some point get to Yugoslavia and the whole war there and this idea of Al-Qaeda having a, a jihad in Europe. And at some point that will involve talking about the origins of Al-Qaeda and the rise of figures like bin Laden. Um, so that's kind of like the next one or two before we get to I think the big one is the 1993 bombing. Um, so anything else I suppose you think is relevant to say that is prior to um, this Isla Islamist surge into um, Central Asia and then Eastern Europe? Anything? Yeah, I think actually you know, we see a commonality between these countries, such as Afghanistan, Algeria, Egypt, where they were governed by nationalist or socialist principles, and they enjoyed a, a relative harmony even though they were quite repressive to um, say the religious sector or the farming um, populace of these countries. Um, what happened was, was that when you had these Anglo-Saxon countries interfere with um, these nationalist governments and the, the outcome was that the Islamists themselves uh, enjoyed a second uh, movement, if you will, um, or the, the original, like I said, the original Arab Spring itself. Um, they started taking over the countries. And in, in essence, would you have rather had, like Brzezinski himself states, would you have rather had um, uh, like a, a communist regime such as the Soviet Union take power of Afghanistan, or would you rather fight these uh, hashtag ultra-orthodoxies, uh, these Mujahideen fighters? 
Yeah, I think he referred to them as a few jumped up Muslims, didn't he? Right, exactly right. But in essence, I mean, we could we could play armchair quarterback all we want now. It's easier to say, well, yeah, because the Islamists are now the problem on a, on a, a I don't think on a global scale yet. I mean, we did have that in the um, latter 90s and the early 2000s. Um, but um, these countries suffered immensely, and they continue to suffer. I mean, countries like Libya, um, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, Syria now, all enjoyed modernity within, the, within their societies. I mean, these people um, enjoyed a relative westernized uh, coexistence, if we will. We even were Christians and um, Jews themselves. But when the countries fell under the interference of, of like the United States and Great Britain and France and Germany, um, you know, these Anglo-Saxon powers and instituted their own governments, which in turn saw, like I said, a, res a resurgence of these Islamist movements, which now lead to these, um, the, the, the destabilizations of these countries. And it, it's 20 years now. I mean, we're still seeing the ripple effects of these countries on an incremental basis. And, it, and of course, it it's also leads into that the military powers would see that this perpetual state of war, if you will, with these Islamists themselves, we've got to spend billions on, upon the military war base so they won't attack us again. Uh, like in hindsight, that's if you will, but we saw this problem in the 80s, especially at the end of the Afghanistan war, when the Islamists returned home, when these people, um, you know, had nothing to do but create a jihad in each of these respective countries they went back to, which was still seen today, which is what I, I always say to a person who wants to get started with 9-11, if you will. Um, I think the starting point, the great starting point is the 1979 Afghan war, because when we see um, uh, uh, the destabilization of these countries and the Islamists going back, now we see uh, the Islamist problems of these countries and what we're still seeing today. Okay, thank you for listening, everyone. In the next interview, we'll be looking at some of the further fallout of the Afghan war and particularly how Pakistan and Western governments continue to use the Mujahideen as a proxy force in conflicts in Azerbaijan and in the breakup of Yugoslavia. And after that, we'll be examining the 1993 World Trade Center bombing and getting into the wave of terrorism that happened throughout the 90s then. And please remember, we're always happy to have feedback if you agree or disagree with any of the points that are being made. Very happy to hear from you.